Thanks for joining us on the podcast today. If you have questions about our church or following Jesus, feel free to reach out to us at info at theplantchurch.org. Now, here's today's message. So, Matthew chapter 5. I'm going to just do a hard right turn. We're going to get into our message this morning. We're in a series in the Beatitudes, studying the Sermon on the Mount. Specifically, we're looking at the Beatitudes, which is like uh, kind of the introduction of this whole thing. And I want to just bring you back to a picture, an image that I put on the screen last week. That is, this is the guiding picture that I want you to have in your head as we think about these Beatitudes and what they are. Um, talked about this beautiful image, this is a starry night by Vincent van Gogh, painted on canvas. And when you see this in, in person, the colors are so vivid, all the oil, the way it's moved around, you can see, that, like, it's like van Gogh's fingerprints almost on it because you can see how he pushed the oil around the canvas and made it this swirl. There's like three dimension to the way the, the oil paint like is popping out. Um, but this painting would not have the the vivid color that it does. It wouldn't have this beautiful texture. It wouldn't have been preserved for as long as it's been preserved if the canvas had not been prepared properly. Remember we gave that analogy last week. So I want you to just have this in mind every week as we're going through these Beatitudes is what Jesus is doing in these opening uh, statements that we're looking at. All of these blessed are the, God blesses the, this group, that group. Uh, Jesus wants us to understand the kind of people that the kingdom is built on, the kinds of upside-down otherness so different from the way we think uh, success and having a good life looks. These are the people that the foundation of what I'm going to talk about in this sermon are built on. Because if we don't prime the canvas right, if we don't build the kingdom of God on the right surface, it can rot, it can decay cannot last as long. The colors don't shine through with this beautiful vividness that they do when the canvas has been prepared properly. So I just want you to keep that in your mind as we continue forward because often what happens is people like to like pick and choose things out of the Sermon on the Mount and, and they don't, they are not thinking about this specific context that it's set in as and these are these things that Jesus says, these are the people who are blessed. These are the people who have got it good. These, this is, they're living the good life. And so last week we talked about the first group of people who were living the good life, and it's the poor in spirit. And we talked about how these are people who are both economically needy and spiritually desperate. And there's a specific kind of group of people that Jesus might have had in mind. Uh, and we, we talked about uh, more uh, modern contextual examples, contemporary examples that might frame that for us and give us an idea of what we're talking about. But we're talking about really desperate people, both economically and spiritually. Like, there's no way out. And so um, what we're going to talk about is another group of people who, when we look at them, we're like, man, they, they don't have, there's no way out. They're desperate. They're economically needy. Like, there's no hope for them. And, and, and God says they have it really good. They're going to inherit the whole kingdom of heaven. And now this next group is probably equally confusing for us, but this is the kinds of people that, that are building the kingdom of God. And Jesus says the second group, if we put up the, the verse, uh, verse four here that we're looking at this morning, it says, God blesses those who mourn for they will be comforted. 
I, I love thinking about the grief in my life and the loss and the mourning and the suffering and just saying, man, I've got it so good. Said no one ever. I love thinking about when it's been a really hard season and when there's been trial and tribulation or dark nights of the soul and, and gr- like insurmountable loss and going, oh, I have it really good right now. How many of you have like high-fived each other when you're going through your worst season in life? I'm so blessed. It sounds absolutely ridiculous for a number of reasons, but God says those who grieve, those who mourn are blessed. They've got it good. They've got it good. But we don't really like to grieve or mourn or deal with suffering or anything, do we? We, we like to minimize it, go through it as little as possible, acknowledges our loss, acknowledge our loss only when it's absolutely necessary, and, and just try and get away from it. I think of, often we, we think about, uh, I think it's Pete Scazzaro that says it this way, like we, we think about loss and grief in our life as like an alien invader into our life. Like that has no business, why is this here? This doesn't make any sense. Life is supposed to be trending up and to the right at all times. Why is this happening to me? But the reality is this is part of life. This is part of what is normal life. And so Jesus says that those who mourn will be comforted. And and what I'd like to invite you into is just to hear this good news this morning, that when we choose to receive the gift of grieving, when we choose to receive grieving as a gift, we get to be comforted by God. When we choose to receive the gift of grieving, God's self comforts us. Father, Son, and Spirit becomes manifestly present and encounters us and comforts us in a way that nothing else in the world can. And that's the good news that I want to invite you to receive from Jesus this morning. The good news of those who grieve. They have it good because they are going to be comforted. Obviously, we're talking about who, who are they going to be comforted by, and what's implied in the text is that they're going to be comforted by God, and we'll come to that a little more in detail later. But what I want to do this morning, just very briefly, is just offer an understanding of why grieving is a gift and, and what the invitation is in grieving and how it helps us live the good life that God has for us. So we're just going to walk through uh, four, four of these observations about grief very simply this morning. The first one is this. In grieving, we break the illusion of our self-sufficiency. Amen. No. We live in the land that uh, prides itself on independence. I, I can be my own captain of my own future. I can pull myself up by my own bootstraps. I can make things happen. I can get things done. And what happens when we're encountered with grief and loss is there's suddenly something in our life that we can't help ourselves with. Like, I didn't plan for this. This wasn't in the five, 10 year plan. Like, where did this come from? And then all of us kind of go into the like, okay, how do I fix this? How do I 
get better in this? How, how, do I, how do I minimize the loss? And that's the exact opposite of the, the call and the invitation of what we're called to do. And it can be really damaging if we do not enter into the grief well, because what grief does is it wakes us up. It wakes us up from this illusion that we have everything figured out and we have control over our life. Pete Scazzaro says this, there is no greater disaster in the spiritual life than to be immersed in unreality. And when you do not mourn, when you do not step into grief and mourning and loss and be honest about these things in your life, what ends up happening to you is you're living in unreality. You're living in a world that you are in control of, that you are self-sufficient over, and this illusion gets created that everything's fine. It's fine, it's fine. It's like Ross from Friends, if you ever saw Friends. I'm fine. He was fine all the time, but he really was not fine, that man. Uh, Think about it this way. This is an old kind of cliche, but imagine the former high school quarterback, now in his 40s, and he's still walking around his hometown wearing his varsity jacket, you know what I'm talking about? Just strutting around, talking about that, that pass he threw in the state championship. You're like, dude, that was like 25 years ago. Like, what are you talking about? Like, have you done anything since then? But what the, he, you know, the, 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 the kind of like cliche there, the trope is like, he's, he can't move on. The loss of the high school years being over. They were good, but they're done. And now I've lost that and I've got to move to something new. And it's really hard sometimes to move into the new when we're still clinging on to the old and we won't let it go. We have this illusion of success that there's more and more things happening, more success happening all the time sometimes. And and it's funny because when we don't grieve our losses like that high school quarterback, we get stuck in the past. And we find that we are not going to be able to live in reality until we start to get honest about the pain and honest about the loss and the grief. But when we do, there's a couple things that we learn. When, when we find that, that we don't have to have everything together, when we can be honest and say, I don't know what to do with this. This happened and I'm in pain and I'm grieving and I'm, I'm mourning and this is, I feel like my life is out of control and this wasn't supposed to happen. There's a couple things. We learn that it's okay to not be okay. We learn that it's okay to not be okay. We learn that it's okay to experience lack. We learn that it's okay to accept our limits, that we can't control everything or plan for every eventuality. And we learn to grieve our losses and let them go so we can receive the new things that God has for us. Grieving, in grieving, we break the illusion of our self-sufficiency. Second, in grieving, we break the need to have all the answers. Very similar to our self-sufficiency. In in grieving, we do not need to explain away or understand what happens. Do you know what the worst thing is that you can say to someone when they're going through really painful loss and suffering? I'm sure God has a reason for this. Don't say that, please. Please stop saying that if you do say that. I'm, I'm not trying to shame you or anything. But you know what? Sometimes there's hor- we live in a broken, fallen world because of sin. And, and sometimes 
horrible things just happen, and it's awful, and it's sad. And it's not like God was like, I'm going to make this happen, so something good can come out of it. Now, does God redeem these things? This is what Joseph said to his brothers. You meant this for evil, but God has turned it into good. But we don't really get answers a lot of times. But a lot of times what we can do when we grieve, we get to let go of our need to have the answers. You know the story of Job in the scriptures? If you read Job sometime, it's, it's really frustrating. It doesn't work for, for us, like our culture, because there tends to be, how many of you, this is how I grew up anyway. If I put in A, I'm going to get out B. Right? That's how it works. If I put in the work, I'm going to get this result. If I do this, this is going to happen. But how many of you that are a little more seasoned in life know that that doesn't always work? You go, you go well, I put in all the effort, and then it didn't turn out right. Or I did these things, and then these horrible things over here in this other part of my life happened to me. Or I was really good, but this, this didn't go right. That's actually called karma. It's not something the scriptures teach or explain that karma is, like, if I do good things, good things come back to me. The scriptures don't teach that. It says that the, the rain falls on the uh, righteous and the unrighteous alike. And so Job and his friends are sitting around going, like, Job, you must have sinned to have all this horrible sickness and losing all your children and all your wealth and everything. You must have sinned or done something wrong. And Job's sitting there like, God shouldn't have taken this away from me. I'm righteous. I've done nothing wrong. Don't you try and, and, and implicate me. And Job really hadn't done anything wrong, but he was expecting, like, this shouldn't have happened to me. And then at the end, the last few chapters of Job, God meets with Job, and, and God just says, brace yourself like a man. And they're like, oh, I need to change my pants after that. God says that to you. Like, he's, he's like, stand up. Come on, talk to me face to face like a man. Where were you when the, the, the heavens got, were made? Where were you when all of the mountains grew? Can you tell me how the rain falls? Can you, and he starts giving all of these like, questions about these things. And Job's answer every time is just like, Lord, I, I don't know. Lord, you, uh, you know. I don't know. And you know what happens at the end of that whole exchange is, is Job has an incredible amount of peace with his situation. And God never answers why all this happened. And, and there's something about grief when we grieve with God, because we're not taking about to, we're not talking about taking our grief over into a corner, separate from God here. We're we're talking about a grief before God, as if we and we come to this place with Him. We're we're no longer seeking answers; we're just seeking Him. Sometimes there's answers. Sometimes there's wisdom and insight. Years later, we can look back on it. But sometimes it's like I don't really understand but I now have a peace that surpasses all understanding. So in grieving, we break the need to have all the answers. It breaks our self-sufficiency. It breaks our need to have all the answers. Third, in grieving, we find belonging. This is often overlooked in our, our grieving, but I think it's so important because a lot of us, myself included, it's really easy to go grieve alone with God. 
I'm gonna go be by myself with my grief. I'll come back to you all when I feel better. But that's not what the scriptures teach us. In Romans 12, 15, it says, weep with those who weep. There's an assumption that the church, the the body of believers will find those who are in mourning, who are in grieving, and are gonna come around them. They're gonna put an arm around them. They're not gonna give them really silly answers about, oh, God must have had a reason for this. They're just gonna be with them and listen and hear them and ask a question maybe at some point, a wise, insightful question that can just help them process more, but mainly they're just with them. Do you know how helpful it is to have a, a non-critical voice that just sits with you in your pain? When, when I have people like that around me and I'm intentional about making sure that I'm not grieving alone, I feel less crazy. Because, yeah, amen. Because, because when I bring people into the process, they just nod and say, this totally makes sense. Yeah, I get it. It doesn't make any sense that you don't have an answer for this. I'm with you. This is horrible. You, this is an impossible thing you're dealing with. Yeah, I know. Like, because so often we grieve in our little corners by ourselves, and we go, make ourselves go crazy because we think I'm the only one dealing with this. But we're meant to find belonging in our grieving. We're meant to to be able to say, this is what I'm suffering under. This is what I'm grieving. This is the loss that I'm mourning. And I wanted to share this with you. Will you listen to my story? I found um, when I was first learning about grief and and loss, I was in this class in in, uh, college preparing for ministry. And they had all of these we're all in this pastoral ministry program in, in, in school, and we had this class we have to take called personal spiritual formation. And one of the key parts of the class is, is we have to share a grief journal at one point in the class with the whole class. And, and it's a, just processing the losses in our life that maybe we've never had felt permission to process. And just be aware of the pain of it. And so uh, different ones of us would read, and, and then uh, different people would just speak simple words of affirmation. Or just acknowledging, I see you, I hear what you're going through. That was painful. That shouldn't have been done to you. I'm so sorry. Just simple words like that. And, and I, I remember this moment will always stick with me. There was this sense of camaraderie, of belonging in the room as everyone began to just share their suffering and their grief. And, and, and the professor at one point just kind of stopped to pause and have us observe what was happening in the room. And he used the Greek word that gets translated as church when he says this, but he said, you see what's happening right here, that, that connection you're all sensing to each other. He's like, ecclesia is breaking out. He's like, this is what the church is. We rejoice with those who rejoice. We weep with those who weep. And, and there's, I, I still, to this day, some of the closest people in my life come from that class because I can, I can go there with them immediately, and I know they're safe people where they're just going to listen, and, and they're going to process, and, and this is what we need to be as a community if we are going to understand what it means to be blessed when we mourn. Dietrich Bonhoeffer talks about this in relation to confessing our sin, but it's the same for talking and grieving our mourning. He says, he says that you can't, as a paraphrase, but he says you can't really just confess to God alone. You need to confess to God in and through someone else as Christ's representative, another Christian brother or sister. Like if you, if you don't confess to another, like who's heard your confession? 
Like, God put us in community to literally be the body of Jesus Christ to each other. For Jesus to comfort you, you need to bring your grief to your community. So they can be there to say, yep, I hear you. I'm so sorry. I'm with you. Just show up. You don't have to say anything, but just just be here. We know what you're going through. Just sit with us. We'll sit with you. In grieving, we find belonging. So in, in grieving, just to recap before we go to our final observation here. In grieving, we break the illusion of self-sufficiency. We break the need to have all the answers. In grieving, we find belonging. And finally, in grieving, we receive God's comfort. This word that gets translated as comfort here in in verse four is the Greek word parakaleo. This is the same root word that's often used to describe the Holy Spirit. It's the, the Holy Spirit is the paraclete. And, and what it describes, what a paraclete was, was a, it was a military term in Rome. And, and what they would do is, is these soldiers would dig their heels in, and they had like these giant spikes on their boots, and they would link arms together, and they described this as a paraclete. It was this joining together of strengthening themselves into the ground. They're strong into the ground. They're linked arms together, and it's this unbroken, strong chain that could not be shattered. And this is how the Holy Spirit's described as coming to you, coming to us as the church. I'm going to send you another advocate, a paraclete, I'm going to send you the paraclete. I'm going to send you the one who's going to stand in solidarity with you in every moment and every bit of grief and mourning in your life. It's God, the Holy Spirit. And it's the same root word, parakaleo. It's used to describe comfort, withness, togetherness, comfort, coming alongside of. Blessed are you who mourn. They will be parakaleo. Someone will stand in solidarity with them. Someone will be with them in the midst of the darkest moments. Someone is going to be with you in the middle of the storm as long as you acknowledge the storm and grieve your losses. If you're like, that didn't happen, you realize that when you, when you try and cut yourself off from that reality, this is why Pete Scazzaro says this is the most serious problem for our spirituality, is because we're not just stepping into unreality when we don't grieve. We're actually separating ourselves from the very comforter who wants to enter into our lives. But when we enter fully and embrace the loss and step into the morning, we have someone, an advocate, who comes to comfort us, to be with us, to be near us, to fill us. So what we're talking about here, this kind of grieving is not receiving comfort from talk therapy, though that can be helpful. We're not talking about just catharsis and I just need to vent right now. We're not talking about whining. We're not talking about being able to uh, take care of ourselves again at the end of this whole process. And that's what we're referring to. We're not talking about finally being able to have all the answers. We're not talking about uh, 
people in and of themselves who are coming around you, but we're talking about the presence of one in the midst of all of these things. As the grief, as the loss comes out, as the why God comes out, there is one who comes to be present with you, to comfort you in every moment in the darkest seasons. So you are very blessed when you mourn. It is the God of the universe. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the triune God that comes to be present in the most grievous, heinous, horrific moments you have ever experienced in your life. And God is there. God is there to comfort you. You know, part of what we think is normal in our world is actually living our day-to-day secular life apart from the presence of God. We think like God will come in in a special moment like a worship service or something you know, like that or when I pray or, or read my Bible, but, but we need to understand that God's presence separate from us, that's weird. That's not even how we were created to be. We were created to have God present with us at every moment as we live in reality and acknowledge our losses, acknowledge how we're human, acknowledge how we don't have all the answers, how we're not self-sufficient, all of these things. There is a God who is present with us every moment of every day to walk us through. If you follow Jesus, Scripture says that the Holy Spirit lives in you. Think about that. You have a living person, not a human, but a living person in you right now. It's not just like a nice idea or concept. We don't exactly know where is he next to the liver or the kidney. I don't know. That's not the point. It's not, it's not a geographic location, but, but the God of the universe lives in you. So as you grieve, God is there to comfort you. Literally at every moment of every day, the Holy Spirit is there Minute by minute, minute, second by second, moment by moment, as you're like, I don't know how I'm going to make it to two o'clock, let alone through this entire season. When you're like, I don't know how I'm going to make it to two o'clock, you know you can talk to the Holy Spirit right in that moment and say, Holy Spirit, can you get me to just 228? And then get me to 229? And then get me to 230? We were designed for God's presence to pervade our being, to give us life, to satisfy our every need. And I'll tell you, I think for most of us in Western society who, who generally speaking, are not exposed to really serious need, getting honest about our grief and our loss and mourning well helps us to reconnect with reality and helps us to reconnect with the God who wants to satisfy not just the the loss and the grief emotionally, but every part of your life. Scott McKnight says, Jesus promises the mourners that God will comfort them by satisfying the longing of their hearts. God isn't just here to pat you on the shoulder and say, okay, you're better now, you're better now. Maybe that's how your parents did it, rub some dirt in it, that kind of thing. God's saying, I know, that really hurts. Let's get all that grief out. It's like drawing it out like a poison. Draw it all out, get it all out. 
It's painful. Get it all out. And I want to give you something new. When we mourn and we grieve, we're getting back in touch with reality. Reality that we don't have everything under control. We're not self-sufficient. Reality that God comes in and he asks if he can sit with us and be with us. A reality that we can receive his comfort. You know, this whole sermon on the mount is really just trying to wake us up to a reality that we were not made to live without God. And so those who grieve and mourn are blessed because they will be comforted by the comforter. I want to close with this. Just four steps. Perhaps you're saying, this is very new for me. I've never grieved before. I've never been honest about pain. I try and minimize and avoid the pain as much as I can. I tried to medicate it and distract myself with work, exercise, food, shopping, Netflix, my phone, whatever I can. I, I would prefer not to go there. So if, if, if you need help getting started, here's what I'd like you to suggest or here's what I'd like you to consider. Uh, this is adapted from, from Pete Scazzaro. Uh, four steps for you. First, just begin to pay attention. Take some time to slow down, be still. Maybe you journal, what am I sad about? What am I afraid of? You'll be surprised what the Holy Spirit brings to mind that as you're sitting still and everything starts to settle, like, oh, I didn't realize I was still upset about that or I didn't realize I was still sad about that might be really surprising what comes up. Don't be like, no, 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 that's not an important thing. I shouldn't, it's something serious. Just let what comes up come up. Trust that the Holy Spirit's pointing something out. And just pay attention. What are these feelings that are happening? What's happening beneath the surface? Second, um, sit in your stuff. You can call it uh, embracing limits. It's the same kind of idea. Is, is you're gonna embrace your limits Sit in your stuff. You're going to recognize this idea that you can't fix the feelings you're feeling. So just sit there and acknowledge that you're not in control. Embrace your limits. Next, begin to grow in your humility towards God. As you're in this posture of waiting and coming back to this issue and grieving it and maybe new things about how, man, this really was terrible because of this and this and like, wow, I, I feel this loss in this area because of this thing. And, and as you begin to get honest about that loss and that grief, uh, let it help your heart grow in humility toward God to just say, Lord, I really thought I had this figured out on my own. And, and I'm, I'm just seeing how, God, you, you could help me in ways I never even dreamed I needed help. Grow in your humility towards God. And then finally, as you're beginning to grow in your humility towards God, you can begin to welcome the new thing that God wants to birth in you. Often, I have found that, just like that uh, varsity uh, football player who's way too old to play varsity football now, I, I have found that when I have started to be like, you know what, this was good for one season, but it's not good for me anymore. And I've been able to be honest and let that go. I, most of the fear in letting these things go is often because I'm afraid there's not going to be anything else good in my life. 
But there is a father who gives such good gifts to you, his children. He is your comforter. He cares about you. And you can welcome, as you let go and grieve these old things, you will be amazed at the new things God begins to birth in you that you didn't even realize you had the capacity for. We have little deaths in our life, but they lead us to resurrection. And so as we uh, transition into taking communion this morning, I'd like you to just uh, consider these, pay attention, embrace your limits, grow in humility, welcome the new. I want you to consider this question before we take communion. As I've just been speaking to you, maybe the Holy Spirit's brought something to mind, but what is a loss in your life that you've not given yourself permission to grieve? That you sense the Lord saying, it's time. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to give you just a moment. The team's going to come back up. And I just want to give you a moment to be still, reflect. Maybe you journal it. If you have a journal with you, put it in your phone. Uh, Just a note of, I need to make some space this week. I need to make some space talking with people in my life group or that I'm I'm close with, that I'm processing stuff with. I, I need to make some space for processing this. I need to make some space to be alone with God to journal and and share with someone. So let's just sit for a minute and reflect on this question before we prepare to take communion together. Thanks so much for joining us today. If this podcast has been helpful for you to know Jesus and make him known, then check out our website for more sermons and other resources, theplantchurch.org. 